Welcome to the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Today, Jonathan starts the season of Lent by talking about something common to everyone, temptation. And so here's Jonathan. Well, good morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we love your word. We love your spirit. Lord, would you give us attentiveness and excitement and anticipation that as we hear from your word, that we hear from you, that it would cut to our hearts, that it would not be merely intellectual or academic, but it would reside in deep soil. God, would you produce fruit in our lives from what you say to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a first order, I'm just super excited to see the Kinesse and Axel Kinesse. So could we praise the Lord for a, a safe and healthy birth? So good to see you guys. And um, I just returned from a, a conference uh, that was put on by the ministries of Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb, a Christian psychologist, had passed away last year, but his sons are carrying forth his ministry, and it was just a wonderful uh, two days that I was able to spend there. Uh, I'm in Asheville. I'm tired, but very full and very excited that this ministry is carrying forward. It's made a big difference in our congregation. A lot of the emotionally healthy discipleship and some of the stuff we've done has come out of that um, conversation with that ministry. So before we get to the scripture today, I just want to say a few things quickly about Lent and um, Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, began Lent, as, as Chris had alluded to. And I want to point out the countercultural nature of Lent. And I want to give a little background that, you know, since the very early church, or even since the, you know, inception of the people of Israel, uh, it's been a countercultural faith. Uh, Christians went to their death in the early church because they were unwilling to worship Caesar, which is what they had to do to not be martyred. And uh, Christians, for example, in the early church were the ones who were grabbing babies who were left out in the sun, which was one of the common ways of aborting babies. And it was in the spring that many religions are cele- were and perhaps are celebrating their fertility gods and goddesses and all kinds of various rites and, and such that they would do. And here the Christians are, instead of trying to appease the gods, they're pulling inward in the spring, in the season of of repentance and fasting and self-denial, just completely the opposite. And they did this not to appease Yahweh or the gods, but to prepare their hearts for him and to be transformed by him. And so this season, I want to encourage you to not think about like giving something up in a tokenistic way. Like when I was a kid and lived in, living in Pittsburgh, you know, a lot of my friends... Uh, would say, well, I'm giving up meat for Lent or whatever. And it was like, well, what's the meaning of that? I don't really know. It's just what our family does kind of thing. I want to encourage you not in a legalistic or tokenistic or quid pro quo, you know, if I scratch God's back, he'll scratch mine kind of way. I want you to think about choosing, choosing less of the world. Choosing self-denial. Choosing to give up something, but not in a legalistic way, but in a way to apprehend more of God. And we do this in the very rhythms and patterns of our day. We give up stuff that becomes so part of us that we actually say, oh, I need to give that up. By the way, I did this a few years ago, but, you know, the Lord has again called me to give up sarcasm. Okay. 
Now, I hear a bit of humorous laughter there, but, you know, that's a major weapon that I wield. The question is, God, what do you want to put in its place? You ready? Here's the answer that I felt like the Lord said. Honesty. Ooh. If I'm not going to be snide and sarcastic and somewhat jaded about what I go through in life, maybe I have to be honest. Ooh. Well, the room suddenly changed there quite a bit, didn't it? So this, amen. So this morning, we're excited to see what God does in you, Jonathan. We have faith, great faith. This morning, we're going to focus on Luke 4. So if you have a Bible, phone, whatever, laptop, please open that. And I really encourage you, we're going to be like deep in the text. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to just really get into it. And so it'll make for a better experience for you. And I'm going to talk with around three questions. What happened? Observations. Uh, what does it mean, interpretation, and how does it apply, application? So what happened? So just working through this, the, the W's of the story, so to speak, the what, where, when, why you know, kind of thing, Jesus leaves the Jordan area and he's led by the Spirit, notice that word, the, those words, into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days while being tempted by the devil. I always reading this and I thought, well, that's kind of a, it was kind of a conversation, right? I, I picture it like an academic conversation. Well, you know, you need to do this. Well, I won't do this. You know, worship the Lord. But that's really not temptation. That's just like a dialogue. This wasn't merely like an academic conversation. This was a season of severe physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual temptation. A struggle of epic and cosmic proportions. Because without it being a struggle about life and death and goodness and evil and God versus Satan, with the possibility that he could fail, this was not temptation, this was just conversation. And the centerpiece of the passage is these three temptations. So the first one in verse 3, the devil says, if you're the son of God, turn this stone to be bread. I want you to highlight three words because they're going to be important. The first is if, not since, not because you're the Son of God, but if you're the Son of God. The second word to underscore is the word, Son of, or the phrase, Son of God. So if connects to the Son of God, and we'll talk about that. And then the third key word I want you to underscore is the word bread. Because it occurs in, in Satan's question, but it also in, or is his statement. And Jesus' response, he says, man shall not live on bread alone. And so as the reader, I ask, well, what's the significance of what Satan asked Jesus to do? And what's the significance of Jesus' response? In the second temptation, Jesus is led to view all the kingdoms of the world. Whether or not he left the wilderness, we don't know. But it really makes more sense that he stayed in the wilderness. It wasn't like, oh, thank God I get a break from the wilderness. I'm going to... You know, head over to wherever, see all the kingdoms of the world. This is like a virtual reality tour, the way I look at it. And the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world, their authority and their splendor, claiming that they were given to him. Interesting. And that he had them to give. If Jesus would only worship him. And Jesus responds in this way, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And as the reader, I say, well, this is a little bit cryptic. I understand, you know, showing him all the kingdoms of the world and but worship the Lord your God and serve him. Only where is this scripture coming from and 
Why is it relevant? Third temptation, Jesus is led to the pinnacle of the temple. That's the southeastern corner, the highest corner of the temple, 211 feet, 21 stories in my math or somewhere out there. For him to fall to the ground, not a, not a small fall. And he says, do this. If you're the son of God, again, underlining if, throw yourself down from here. Okay. The devil quotes from Psalm 91.10, by the way, just make a little footnote in your brain. The devil's quoting scripture. Okay. They will, he's quoting Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, God's going to rescue you. And then Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I say, well, how is that a test? I don't understand. Is there like a key word there? And sure enough, we're going to find there is. Why did the devil tempt him in this way? Why? Jesus responds that way. And of course, the passage ends with this really ominous verse. When the devil had finished, he left him until an opportune time. He wasn't done. Well, what does this mean, Second, How can we interpret these words and happenings? And as we go through this, I really encourage you, begin to take this passage and begin to say, Oh, God, how does this apply to me? Begin to underline it in the, your Bible or highlight it in your phone or Mark it in your heart how these interpretations are going to be applied, applicated by the Holy Spirit. Well, the context of the temptations is the first thing we have to address. Just sit back with me and think for a second. Jesus, who we believe to be God himself, submitted himself to this. Okay, He was led by the Spirit, but he cooperated and he went into the wilderness, into barrenness, submitting himself to essentially physical, emotional, and mental torture, so to speak, isolation, weariness, and despair. Now, how many of you have fasted for a day? Probably many of us have done that. I'm not going to ask because this could turn real kind of whatever. Three days, ooh, oh, five, oh my gosh, you know, a week. I'm not going to do that, but... You know, I've fasted for a day, even for a couple days or more. I'm like ready to eat my hand, right, at the end of that fast. Jesus didn't just fast for a day, a week, or even a month. We're talking about 40 days. This is a solemn fast. And while he's fasting in the wilderness, by the way, that's not like trees and stuff. That's not like elf land. That's like barren desert, by the way. Which surprised me when I went to Israel and I was like, Oh, the wilderness is not trees. You know what I mean? Like Pennsylvania. What about that was funny? <laughs> okay, we'll talk later. But Oh, it's because I'm from Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh doesn't have trees. Okay. Where am I? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Irony. Okay, there are different types of humor. Okay. Uh, so... This was not one day or even a month, 40 days. Now to interpret the first temptation. So in the wilderness, he's hungry, right? He's very hungry. And Satan comes and he says, if you are God's son, tell this stone to become bread. In other words, take care of yourself. Feed yourself. Do what it's going to take for you. Do you. Don't depend on God's provision. 
And inside of Satan, Satan's words are really a dual accusation. The first is God's not going to take care of you. And the moment a Jew hears 40 days in the wilderness, they're thinking Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, right? So there's this kind of uh, juxtaposition of Israel wilderness, Jesus wilderness. And the last time that Israel went through this, they did not trust God. They said God will not provide for what we need. They complained and they argued. And in their starvation, God, and in his mercy, he fed them manna. But the second temptation was this. If you are the son of God, a question about Jesus' identity. Is God truly your father? And are you truly Jesus, the prized son of God? And so Satan, highlight this in your mind as we begin to interpret this. Satan uses Jesus' circumstances to question his identity. Boy, isn't that important for us? Notice that Jesus does not turn the stones to bread and even stone into bread, and even in starvation, he asserts that what really matters is not food, not sustenance of physical nature, but God of sustenance in spiritual nature. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3. Let me read this with you. And this is Moses speaking to Israel. Moses says, So he humbled you, allowing you to hunger, fed you with manna, that he might make you know that a man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Exactly what Jesus said. And in being victorious over this first temptation, Jesus affirms that God is truly his heavenly father, his provider, and that he is God's prized only son. Second temptation, Satan lies and deceives and offers Jesus what was not his to offer. He shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. It says uh, the authority and splendor the wealth, the power, the privilege of all having, you know, being king of all this. And he offers with Jesus what Satan does not have. He was not given the kingdoms of the world. He was allowed to roam the earth. And he would never give it to him, even if he could, because he's a deceiver. He's always got a card up his sleeve. The one condition was that Jesus must worship him. Just like Israel, by the way, was tempted to worship other gods because they would get wealth and authority and splendor and all the stuff that God promised them, but they wanted to get it their way. And safety, by the way. And privilege. The same things that American culture lusts after. And they did that, by the way. Israel did that. Their temptations were the same as Jesus, but they gave in to them. How does Jesus respond? Deuteronomy 13. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That word worship can also mean to fear. And the context is Deuteronomy 13. In Deuteronomy 13, Moses says this to Israel. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses you did, houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells, vineyards, olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you're eaten satisfied, he said, be careful 
Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And so Jesus' rebuttal said, I will not worship you, Satan. I will worship God and I will serve him only. And he did this by not seeking what the world offers, but he sought to die for the world and to give his life for the world. Blessed are you, Jesus said, blessed are you who give. It's better to give than to receive, which is the very thing he practiced. Dying for the world, living for the kingdom of God, sacrificing himself for you and me. And the final temptation was this. Ready? Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Have angels swoop you up for all the world to see. And once again, Satan challenges the identity of Jesus if you are the Son of God. Then do this and prove that God delights in you the way you think he does. And again, Satan quotes scripture, so remember, Satan can quote scripture. But he does this to lure him. He uses Psalm 91. That if Jesus were to fall, God would indeed spare him. Here's the hook, and here's the key. Jesus said, tells us in John that he only does what the Father does. I only do what the fa- I see the Father doing, he said. His life was lived in obedience as a mirror reflection to the Father's will. But him jumping off the temple would not be the Father's will. And so he was testing God by asking him to bless his disobedience. Is that applicable? That when, okay, I'm not going to get into it because that's application. But you get the idea. That testing God is when Jesus would jump off the temple, which God would not have him to do, to prove that he is who he says he is but that God would only be faithful by saving him. It's the same thing that Israel did. Israel, when they were in the wilderness, and they were not only starving, they were thirsty. And you remember, they complained about God. They indicted God for not being good. In essence, commanded him to give them water. And it went so far that Moses, you remember, struck the rock, and he was punished for striking the rock. And he was the personification of that kind of bratishness that did not trust God and actually wanted to bless God in his disobedience. And in his rebuttal, by saying, do not put God to the test, he was saying, I will not do what God is not doing. And God has better plans for me and God has a better way for me. And that is so applicable to us. And God's way was not for him to do the Superman jump off the temple. God was planned for him was to do a Superman jump onto the cross. Not for his own self-promotion, which is what Satan wanted, but for the Father's glory. Putting his Father's plan ahead of his own. So let me summarize before I get into application. Jesus was victorious over every single challenge that was put in his path. Hebrews tells us that he was made like us. Do you remember the expression? In every way, but was without sin. 
that he became like us in every way. He suffered in this wilderness like us, and he did not sin. He was victorious over every challenge, the challenge to question whether or not God was going to provide for him, whether or not God's plans for him were right. The temptation to questions to question the Father's delight in him, his own identity. The challenge to pursue the calling that the God had for him, whether it was good for him or not, but for our glory, but for our blessing. To misuse power, to take control, to turn stones into bread. All this Jesus was tempted with. And so how does this apply? Well, it's pretty easy. We've already done the heavy lifting. I'm not going to take a ton of time for application. I'm just going to focus on a few things. And the first thing is just about temptation. Because the tempter is creative. And he's cunning. Right? It's said that Satan was the most cunning. That means crafty. It means smart. And he's insidious. He always... Satan always crawls below the grass line of our lives. you understand the significance of that? It's only when he's exposed that he's the most dangerous, or that he's the least dangerous. It's when he's below the grass line, when he's, oh, I really don't believe that Satan exists. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I love this. I can go to town. But it's when he's out in the open that he can be crushed. And but he's not creative in, in the, the ways that he accomplished, what he attempts to accomplish. And that is to put mistrust between us and God. God, you don't have my best at heart. You don't know what you're doing. I mean, I know you created all the world and everything in it, but you really don't get me and what I need. He, Satan causes us to question, especially when we're in the wilderness, when we're suffering, when we're grieving. When we're alone, I think a lot about aloneness is whatever half of our congregation is somewhere. You know, because like I love my fire pits at night and I, I get a lot of like insight and sp- spiritual time with the Lord in my fire pit. And that's one reason because I just notice like how something that's not burning catches a blaze because it's near the center of the fire. But I also notice like what happens to a piece of a log when it breaks off and it just slowly dies. And that's really what's happened during COVID is a lot of people and maybe some of you have even broken off and really spiritually there's nothing there. It's like you're just that ember that's just near dead. I'm really glad you're here this morning. I'm really glad you're here because you cannot make it alone. But Satan wants you to be alone. Because he wants you to die like that ember. Of course, Satan causes us to take control in ways that we're not supposed to take control. You know, oh, I don't trust God, so I'm going I'm to take care of myself. We do this in a lot of ways in relationships. We date the wrong people, sometimes marry the wrong people. We do all kinds of things to ourselves because we don't trust him to wait Our temptation is also about false attractions. Things Satan says, oh, check this out, I'll give this to you. And he puts 
You know, it was like that, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but it's not. It's like a pile of manure at the end of the rainbow. Richard Sibb says this, Satan gives Adam an apple and takes away paradise. Therefore, in all temptations, let us consider not what he offers, but what we shall lose. Wow. Lent is a time to remember and confess that we're not to pursue what this world offers. Wealth and power and authority and splendor and the way the world worships it, but we're to seek the kingdom of, his, kingdom of God and his righteousness. And finally, or secondly, you and me, I just want to affirm you all, like, you're no longer an orphan. You're no longer alone. Now, you might be living like you're alone, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're no longer alone. You're not forgotten, even if you are in the wilderness and you feel like you're starving and you're isolated and you're suffering. Because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. What does Hebrews say? That Jesus learned obedience in that wilderness. And if we abide in him, we too will learn. What Satan means for evil, this is what Joseph said looking back at the whole of his life. Yeah, my brothers threw me in a pit and left me for dead, and I was put in prison a couple times and all this. But what? remember what he said? What? Help me out here. Yes, what you meant for evil, God used for good. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good. So we're to confess the ways that we are like Israel not like Jesus. The times that we ask God to bless us in our disobedience. God, I know that I'm not doing what I should be doing, but please bless me anyway. That's how we test God. Friend, I want you to know this morning that you are delighted over by God. I mean, it's... Me telling you to do more will never really lead you to God. Me telling you how much God loves you and how prized you are and cherished you are. I thought about my kid. My kid, one of my kids, I was over there, over his crib. This is Jonathan Michael Tagg, my oldest boy. I was standing over his crib. And I just realized he's asleep and I just cherish this boy. God cherishes you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform anything or achieve anything. He cherishes you. He sings over you like I would sing over my kids. He's made known to you the secrets of the kingdom. And I'll close with this final application, and that's just about Jesus. Hebrews 5 says this about Jesus. It says, During his life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Think about him doing that in the wilderness too, not just Gethsemane or the cross. But he was heard because of his reverent submission. He left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source, the Key words here. The source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He won in the garden. He won on the cross. He won through the resurrection of the dead. He's the fulfillment of all Israel. He is the second Adam who succeeded where Adam failed. 
And he's our source of holistic salvation for you mentally, emotionally, sexually, relationally, socially, vocationally. He is your salvation. That doesn't mean that his goal for you is to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It means his goal for you is to give him glory. But I want to tell you that that you have a power in you that can resist temptation. And perhaps this morning, probably all of us have something that we think, this is my go-to. This is my path that is well-trodden. It's what I go to. It's my temptation. And I want to tell you that scripture, this is one of my favorite scriptures, 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Other people struggle with this too. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. That means if you're an escape artist and that's what you do and that's how you deal with temptation, you just run and hide or you attack or you indict God, you remove yourself from others, you become overpronated in your relationship with others. I just thought of that word now. I don't know if that's even right. But the point is, however we Give in to temptation you don't have to anymore. And I'll close with this. Will you today allow temptation to strengthen you or to ruin you? Will you come with me to Jesus in confession and humility and saying, God, I'm a mess, which I am a mess and you're a mess and we're all a mess together. Will you come in confession to God or will you run like Adam? John Owen said this, Temptation is like a knife that may either cut the meat or the throat of a man. It may be his food or his poison, his exercise or his destruction. Would you please pray with me and kneel if you are able. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at theriverinrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.